Say your Bibles this morning, please turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And Judy had no idea the topic of my message today, but her song is exactly what I'm preaching about. Isn't the Holy Spirit good? Puts everything together for us. John chapter 1, Jesus the difference maker. Jesus can change your life. And as we come to the end of the Portraits of Christ series, we are on our last message today. We've gone through the entire book of John. It's taken us over a year, but we're finished today. And we notice that after Christ has risen from the grave, he still has some lessons for his disciples and for us. John chapter 21, I forgot to mention earlier, be in prayer for the McPhersons today, uh, Brother Howard, Pastor Howard in Oakville, uh, his pastor in Indiana and his home church, uh, there was some sort of, I believe, a death in his family, and Brother Howard just felt the need to go down and minister to him uh, this weekend, and, and he's, so he's preaching there for him this morning and ministering to him, and so he asked Brother McPherson to fill in in Oakville, and so... Uh, Paul emailed me this morning and said, I, I picked up a bug or something yesterday. He says, so pray for us as we drive to Oakville in this weather and not feeling real well. And then I'm preaching all day. And so uh, remember Brother McPherson this morning uh, as he preaches. I know he'd appreciate that. John chapter 21. John <coughs> chapter 21. Just read with me the first four verses. We'll make our way through the chapter, but let's read together the first four verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught... Nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for mercy and grace. We thank you, Lord, that an, an encounter with Jesus Christ can change us forever. Father, that's what the world needs. They don't need a an encounter with another Christian. They don't need an encounter with a religion or a church. They need that meeting with Jesus Christ. They need to be introduced by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, Father, may you help us today as we tackle this last chapter in the book of John and help us to learn why it is Jesus that makes the difference. It is Jesus that changes a life. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I surrender to you and ask for your help this morning. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it seems like the disciples had lost their focus. Their mission had not changed. And yet they seemed like they were in a bit of a confusion, if you will. Jesus said before he died that he would go before them into Galilee. So they were in the right place. They were there in Galilee where Jesus said he would eventually meet with them. But they were kind of without any mission, without any focus or goals in their life. They had no direction. So Peter said, I go a-fishing. I don't know about you, but I, I like fishing. I don't get to go very often as much as I would like. It's not the kind of fishing that we are used to. I saw a little commercial yesterday 
uh, watching the, the ball game and, and caught the end of the ball game a little bit. I guess it was Friday night, I caught the ball game a little bit, and, and I was watching a commercial about fishing. Well, that's a pretty good demographic. If you've got some sports fans, that's where you're going to advertise fishing poles. And they advertised the fishing pole, the ugly stick. How many ever heard of those? The ugly stick, yeah. And uh, this lady was fed up with her husband's fishing all the time. So she says, no more fishing for you. And so she took this ugly stick and she tried to break it over her knee and she couldn't break it. And she beat that thing and she ran it over with her car and she put it inside the, the, the washing machine, the dishwasher, crumpled it all up and stuck it in there. Finally, she put it in the trash compactor and finally, after all these attempts, he just walked over and took it out and went fishing. And you just could not, it's a great commercial. I mean, you cannot break that pole. And that's what they were trying to get across. But you know, Jesus, they didn't fish like that in those days. They used nets. In Africa, we saw the effort it takes to fish in that manner. We watched it, uh, uh, we sat on the shore one day and we were just, it was a hot day and we had a little bit of time and some of our plans had got changed and so we found a place where we could go and get a cold drink and we sat there drinking some lemonade on the, the shore of the Atlantic Ocean right there at, at almost at the equator and uh, we watched these men go out, about 20 of them. They had a long boat and they dropped their net in one place with a weight and they made a big circle and then for the next 45 minutes it took them. I mean, it was a big circle. These men, about 10 on each end of the boat, facing different directions, began to heave those nets in. And for the next 45 minutes, they would just continuously heave. I mean, their backs were ripped with muscles, as you can imagine. Their arms and their chest muscles just, were just exploding. And I, I, I looked at Brother Arnold, and you know Brother Arnold, he's a big guy. And we looked at each other and said, there's no way we would last five minutes doing this. That's what the disciples were doing. When Peter suggested that they go fishing, this was not just some recreational sport like we are used to. And i got to be honest with you, my, my kind of fishing is sitting in a lawn chair and casting my line out. And I don't even want to wait on the, the jerk. Dr. Pipe told me this one time, Brother Pipe. I was up north at, and went fishing with him on the Ottawa River. And he says, do you know how to know that you got a fish on, Alan? And I said, no, how's that? And he goes, when there's a jerk at both ends of the pole. That's what he told me. Not a very nice man. We had a lot of fun with Dr. Pipe. That's my idea of fishing. I put a bobber on there, and I throw it out there because I don't even want, I just want to lay back and with my eyes half closed, watch to see if that bobber goes. But when Peter says, I go fishing, he was talking about some hard labor. He was talking about toiling through the night. This wasn't a recreational sport. This was a livelihood. This was something that he was hoping to accomplish to be able to feed their bellies. And, and don't get me wrong, they, it wasn't wrong necessarily for them to go fishing. They still needed to eat. But that's not what Christ had called them to. They had forgotten their mission. They had lost their focus. Have you ever been in that position? Maybe you know you're exactly where you're supposed to be, but you just don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You wonder if you are just expending energy for no purpose whatsoever. You wonder, am I wasting my time? Often when times like that come along, we just kind of fall into, back into the rut of what is familiar. And that's what the disciples did. Peter didn't know what else to do. And he says, well, there's one thing I know. I know how to fish. The Bible says when Jesus found Peter and Andrew, his brother, they were fishers. These were fishermen. 
He knew what they were able to do, and so he simply went back and thought, I'll just occupy the time. I will keep busy for now until the Lord shows me what I'm supposed to do. Let me caution you on something. It is in times like that that often we settle for second best. We are willing to settle into God's permissive will rather than His perfect will. And because of that, we see it was an unproductive night. The Bible says in verse 3, They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. What a waste of time. Now, I told you that I, when I fish, I just, I'm recreational. I, I know some of you men fish, and you're, you're serious about it. And you want to take home a good catch. You know, I, I understand that. Me, I, I, I often say, you know what, I don't care if I catch anything. I'm just happy out here in the nice breeze and have my pole in the water, and I'm relaxing with my family. I, but let's be honest, I do care if I catch something. I want to catch at least one fish that night just to say that I caught something. Matter of fact, one time we went fishing, and my wife likes to fish too. For a while there, she, she wouldn't put the worm on the hook. She'd get one of my kids to do that for her. And then finally, she didn't like how they were doing it, so she learned how to do it herself. And then she wouldn't take the fish off the hook if she caught one. She wasn't touching a fish, and she's still kind of stuck in that spot right now. But I remember one night we were fishing, and we had a new family in the church that had immigrated, uh, the Garcia family. Some of you have met them and know them. They've been here to the church before. and there was, there was about 16, 17 of them at the time. They've grown exponentially since then. They've had lots of children and, and all the rest in the last six or seven years. But uh, this family was, was just, they were here as refugees. They were hungry. They were starving. And my wife and I, we were fishing and the kids were fishing. And I sat there all night and I'm not catching a thing. My wife is catching perch after perch after bass after perch every time she dropped her line. And I'm not talking about little perch. I'm talking about jack perch. And she was pulling in bass. And I said, I'm six feet from you. What is going on? She wouldn't tell me. She had a secret. So we kept fishing, and I'm, I'm, let's be honest, I don't care if I catch anything, but if my wife is catching something, I better be. How many of you men understand that? Amen. So I finally said, hon, you got to tell me. I said, I don't want to leave here tonight. It's getting dark, and I want to catch a fish. She says, well, she says, I prayed that God would give me enough fish to feed the Garcia family. And I went, oh, man, she got God on her side. But you know, that's the truth. When Jesus passed by, everything improves. Everything gets better when Jesus comes by. That's what the disciples learned that night. They had an unproductive night. It was fruitless. They didn't catch a thing. And you say, well, these are just amateurs. No, no, these were professional fishermen. Peter and Andrew did this for a living. These were men who knew what they were doing. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not it was Jesus. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? How many of you know that Jesus already knew the answer to that? Boy, I hate that when I'm sitting on the shore and somebody comes by and says, Have you caught anything? I don't mind if I got a pail full. But if I don't have any, I'm thinking, Just keep walking, buddy. But Jesus says, have you any meat? And he knew the answer. They answered him, no. He said unto them, cast the net on the other side of the ship, and ye shall find. 
They cast, therefore, now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Well, it seems that Peter and the others suddenly became experienced fishermen. No, that's not what happened. Maybe now that it was morning, the fish had awakened. That's not what happened. Maybe the currents had changed and a school of fish had come by just at that moment. Just a coincidence? No. The difference was Jesus passed by. The difference was the power of God. The, Jesus was, the difference was the word of God. Jesus was now speaking. Notice verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Hey, when you see authentic power pass by, you can identify that it's Jesus Christ. And all this time, they didn't know who it was. And we've been to the Sea of Galilee, and it's not a big sea. It's actually called Lake Gennesaret. And we see that in the Bible as well. And Lake Gennesaret, it, it kind of changes your image of it a little bit. The, somebody said, we said to our tour guide, why did the, why did the uh, uh, Jewish people call it the Sea of Galilee? First of all, it's fresh water. Second of all, it's just kind of small. You can see all the way across it. And he says, imagine wandering in the desert for 40 years. He says, when you step up to this body of water, you think it's a sea. He says, from their perspective, they hadn't seen anything like this in their entire lives. You remember, everybody over the age of 40 had died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. They didn't know what water like that was like. But this lake, you can see across it. But I would dare say, as we were out on the boat in the middle of Lake Gennesaret, you wouldn't be able to make out who was standing on the shore. You might be able to see people walking along and some people are still uh, there that are maybe a little bit more poor and they're down there washing things and cleaning things and maybe getting some fresh water and such. Some were fishing, I suppose, and whatever you would see over there, but you couldn't make out faces. And so they did not know who Jesus was until the power of God showed up. And immediately John said, it must be Jesus. It is the Lord. This is just a side note this morning. It has nothing to do with our message. But let me ask you this. When the power of God works in your life, do you immediately credit the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we sensitive enough to God's Holy Spirit to understand that that was Jesus that did that? That was God that worked all those things together for good. That was God that, that flipped the switch and ignited the power. That was God that undertook in these circumstances and made it a whole lot better than I ever could have. Do we immediately credit the Lord Jesus Christ? All questions to who it was cleared up. I want to give you some principles this morning from the Scripture of what happens when Jesus passes by. The first one is this. We've already talked about it a little bit. Fishing picks up. Fishing picks up. Notice again those scriptures in verse 6. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now, I don't want you to think I'm trying to take scripture out of context to, to talk about physical, slimy, water-living fish. And comparing that to soul winning or reaching others for Christ. I, I don't want to do that. So turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. And let me tell you this. Jesus already did that. Jesus already made this connection. In Matthew chapter 4, we read as Jesus was calling his disciples. The Bible says, if you'll look at Matthew chapter 4, 
In verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And Jesus already made this connection, didn't he? The Lord loved to use illustrations. We see farming illustrations throughout the Bible, and we see uh, athletic illustrations from the Apostle Paul throughout the Bible to run the race and to keep our eyes on that, that crown that awaits us at the judgment seat and all the rest. And Jesus is using another illustration here. He's saying, men, if you know how to fish for, for these fish, for these things that feed you, he says, let me teach you how to be fishers of men. As we look back in John Chapter 21, we realize that Christ had a lesson for them. He said, cast the net on the other side. And when Jesus passed by, we see that fishing picks up. I want you to notice here three lessons that the disciples learned from this very uh, interesting principle this morning. First of all, personal experience alone is insufficient. Personal experience alone is insufficient. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 418, the passage we just read, it says, for they were Fishers. They were fishermen. I got a kick out of something Mr. Roberts said many years ago. He probably doesn't even remember this. But after dad died that summer, mom had a yard sale and was selling, you know, some of the things from his shop, tools and different things that, that needed to be cleaned out. And Mr. Roberts was graciously helping. And there were some fishing poles there. I don't do you remember this, Mr. Roberts? And somebody came along and picked up that fishing pole. Mr. Roberts said about my dad's fishing pole, he says, that pole's brand new. He says, how do you know it's brand new? He says, because I went fishing with him. It never caught a thing. <laughs> do you remember that? No. Sound like you, though? <laughs> and I, mean, I got a kick out of that. And I thought, boy, that's like a lot of my fishing trips. But these men were fishermen. These were experienced men. But personal experience alone didn't help them that night, did it? I mean, I mean, if you came to shore that morning, if Peter and Andrew and all the rest had come to shore before Jesus got there, and there was others there waiting, maybe some wives and maybe some family members wondering, did they bring back some food? Did they bring back something that we could put on the fire and have for a meal today? And they said, what did you catch? There'd be no evidence whatsoever that they were fishermen. And yet the Bible says they were experienced. You see, when we're fishing for souls, personal experience alone is not enough. You can say, well, I've, I've won hundreds of people to Christ. I've told lots of people about Jesus. I hand out tracts faithfully. But friends, personal experience alone is insufficient. I want you to see the second lesson that they learned. Persistence alone is insufficient. How long did they fish? Through the night. Until the sun came up. Now, I would dare say that if they caught 153 fish at midnight, they probably would have said, hey, guys, we can't even pull the net into the boat. Let's just drag this to shore. And Man, we've got a good catch. Let's be done for the night. If at 2 in the morning they caught a net full of fishes, they might have said, well, you know what? It's all that our boats can handle. Maybe we should just go home for the night. We've done pretty well. But they stayed till morning because they hadn't caught a thing. See, persistence alone is not enough. 
I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone fishing and I've I fished for an hour. There was a spot that, that we knew over there in Lake Ontario. Brendan and I knew that if we hit that spot with the bobber, we'd catch a catfish as soon as the bait hit the bottom. We knew it every time. And so some nights we'd go down there and we'd throw that line out there. And as soon as it hit that right spot, we'd say, oh, you're going to get one. And sure enough, and so we started having contests. How many catfish can we pull in in one night? We'd just be racing, throwing it out there, pulling them in. But then there's the next night, you could go back and you could hit that very same spot and not catch a thing. We were persistent. We'd stay for hours. We'd stay till dark and not even get a bite. Persistence alone is not enough. The disciples learned that. You might be saying, well, I've been telling the same person about Christ for 25 years, and I've been ministering to them, and I've been trying to help them, and I've given them the gospel over and over again. Persistence alone is not enough. Personal experience is not enough. What the disciples learned that night is that the power of Christ is an absolute necessity. Hey, if we go in the flesh, we won't catch a thing. You, you can memorize the entire Bible. You can know the book of Romans inside out and backwards. You can quote to them the gospel of John. But if you don't have the power of Christ, it won't change a thing. Are we willing to pray, to cleanse ourselves of sin, to live a life of separation to God, to see a difference in somebody's life? You see, when Jesus passes by, fishing picks up. My friend, I, I mention him often, Alistair McKenzie. You, you know him, Brother Norton from Hamilton, Brother McKenzie. He's 89 years old. Just turned 89 last week. And uh, he said when he was a child, he had a record, a record on. You remember what records are? He had a record on, and he was playing that song, Just a Little Talk with Jesus. He said when I was in Sunday school, he says back, and I mean, we're talking 1930s. He says, I like that song, Just a Little Talk with Jesus. Let's have a little talk with Jesus. He says, my grandfather came down the stairs, and he had a Scottish brogue, and he said in that rich Scottish brogue, he said, it will never do. He just said, it will never do. And he thought, what does he mean? He says, a little talk with Jesus will never do. We need persistent prayer. We need prayer without ceasing. We need to be on our face before God and seeking the throne of God. A little talk with Jesus will never do. He said, I never forgot it. He says, it changed my prayer life as a teenager. Friends, are we willing to do what it takes to see Jesus pass by? To plead with the throne of God? I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, that when Jesus passed by, fishing picks up. Secondly, the feeding begins. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. By the way, Jesus already had fish before the boat got there. Where did he get them? Nobody was going to ask. Jesus might have snapped his fingers and they jumped right out of the water onto the fire. I don't know. But that's what Jesus can do. And the Bible says that they had fish and fire on the coals and bread there. In verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask them, Who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. Listen, let me, let me turn this the other way and make you think a little bit. 
If Jesus hadn't passed by, the disciples would have went home hungry. But Jesus passed by, and the feeding began. You see, we, we can draw from that this morning and understand that the, the meal, the fish that was provided for the disciples was only an opening for Jesus to teach them something. He wasn't so concerned about feeding them physically as he was feeding them spiritually that day. As we see, the rest of the chapter will open up before us in just a few moments. We'll see that Jesus imparts unto Peter especially some, some great insight and some spiritual teaching that would feed him and fuel his soul and his ministry for the next 30, 40 years as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus passed by, the, fishing, or the feeding begins. You know, there's a lot of lost and dying people today that in this world that cannot be filled by philosophy. They're not going to be filled by religion. They're not going to be filled spiritually by humanism or science. They're not going to be filled by idolatry. But think about that science thing. You know, a preacher just sent me yesterday. Somehow they've dug up some bones and they say, you're not going to believe this, but we found a unicorn. And for, thousands, uh, for hundreds of years, they've been saying, oh, the unicorns never existed. It's a mythical creature, and the Bible talks about a unicorn, and boy, the Bible is just no good. Hey, they found a unicorn. If you wait long enough, the Bible always is proven true. They found one. And boy, the scientists, that, or scientists the Bible calls it science falsely so-called. They look like foolish men today. But science isn't going to fill people. Idolatry is not going to fill people. Alcoholism, drugs, immorality, none of that will fill your soul and feed you. But when Jesus passes by, you'll be fed. Listen, we have a responsibility, a moral obligation to give the world Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. If you are not filled with the Spirit of God, we're only giving them our idea about Jesus. But when the Spirit of God fills a man, fills a woman, fills a teen, fills a child, and they begin to speak of Jesus Christ, then we are giving them Jesus, not just our idea or our philosophy about Christ. It takes the Spirit of God to impart truth to a carnal mind. Listen, what the world needs today is truth more than ever. The world is falling apart and so messed up, they need the clear teaching and preaching of God's word. Paul said, when I came to you, I came not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul admitted, I stuttered. I wasn't a very good preacher. I didn't have a cadence or a rhythm about my speech. I, I didn't know how to present things properly. But when I came, I came in the power of the Holy Ghost. And lives were changed because God came by. And that's what we need is Jesus to pass by. Thirdly, this morning when Jesus passes by, fishing picks up, feeding begins, and our focus is renewed. Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Hey, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? It's almost like Jesus felt that he didn't have Peter's attention. Simon, do you love me? Yeah, yes, Lord, of course I love you. No, 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 Simon, Simon, look here. Lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, 
Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Finally, Peter was ready to follow Christ. He said, but didn't he say way back in Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? So they left their nets and they followed him? Yes, but also in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The very next few verses, Jesus tells him that he's going to Jerusalem. Peter said, be it not so, master. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. And he said this. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Peter, you still have some things that you need to be converted of. When thou art converted, he said. Wait a minute. Wasn't he already a convert? Yes. Did he know Christ? Yes. Was he saved? Yes. Do you have saving faith? I believe so. It was his statement that Christ would build his church on, that, that rock of truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he had some things to chip away still. And finally, with this confession that I, you know that I love you with all my heart, I love you more than these, I love you more than anything in the world. Finally, he said, follow me. What a difference Jesus can make in a life. It is no secret that Peter was in a crisis situation right now, wasn't he? He had just denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. He had met him a couple times. This is now the third time that Jesus has showed himself alive to the disciples. And, and, and it was really the, the first time, though, that they got to sit down and converse and enjoy his fellowship. He had come into the upper room and he had seen them on other occasions. But this was the first time they could just really fellowship and Jesus would teach them some more things. But... It was this time that their relationship was renewed. That Peter's focus was, was renewed. You know, we often lose our way as well, don't we? Many of us used to serve or we used to do more for Christ. I can't tell how many times I've run into people that said, well, we used to go to church. We used to go to Bethel. They don't go anywhere anymore. And our focus has waned. We've taken our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and we've put them on a preacher. We've taken our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and we've put them on a church or a Sunday school teacher or some other thing that has let us down. And friends, if you ever take your eyes off Jesus Christ, you're going to be let down. And your focus is going to be shattered. Peter had taken his eyes off the Lord. And he put them on those people that said, you were with them, weren't you? And he feared it's not the first time Peter did that. Peter was walking on the water and he took his eyes off the Lord. And he began to sink. You see, his focus had been destroyed. 
But Jesus sought to bring him back. Maybe you know somebody that was saved as a child that made a profession of faith in Christ. I was talking to John this week about Jason, and I wanted to know, did Jason ever trust Christ? He told me as a child he'd gone to the Awana's program at the Gospel Chapel every week, and there one night put his faith in Jesus Christ and accepted Christ. And now later in life he had, uh, was enjoying the, the devotional from the Institute of Creation Research, and he was listening to, to music from a group called Casting Crowns, but it was a, a contemporary group, but they had Christian lyrics and such. And, and he was enjoying that and sharing it with his father. And, and, and yes, he had lost his way. Lost his focus. But you know, we all do that from time to time, unfortunately. And we must be careful where it takes us. But when Jesus passes by, he'll renew your focus. Boy, if you can get in the presence of Christ, you'll never want to leave. If you can get in the presence of Christ, you'll want to stay there and absorb his teaching. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 1 where the disciples went out on that hillside outside Jerusalem with Jesus and Jesus was taken up into the sky. And the, the, the angel came along and says, Ye men in Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus which is taken from you up into the heavens, so shall come in like manner. But you know what caught me this morning about that verse as I was just reading? Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? It was like they never wanted him to leave. They just kept watching. Where is he? I, I'm not going to watch him as long as I can see him. I'm not going to take my eyes off. Well, we need to get in the presence of Christ. It'll renew your focus. Peter was asked three times to profess his love for Christ to the point where he got frustrated. But the next time we see Peter, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 souls that would accept Christ. Boy, when Jesus passes by, things will change. What a difference Jesus can make. I was thinking of that song this morning written by Oswald J. Smith. One sat alone beside the highway begging. I can't remember all the words or I'd sing it to you. But the chorus is, then Jesus came. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. But what a great old hymn. And some, I'm sure many of you know that old hymn written by Oswald J. Smith. When Jesus comes, things change. Lives are changed. Lives are renewed. Let me give you one more thing just so that we can finish the chapter properly. When Jesus passes by, fault-finding ceases. Fault-finding ceases. Look what the Bible says in verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. He's referring to John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? <laughs> Peter was always bold, wasn't he? He's almost like a little kid. Well, Mom, he got more to eat than I did. He got a bigger piece of pie. Lord, what shall this man do? If I'm going to die for you, if I'm going to preach the gospel, if I'm going to feed your sheep, what's he going to do? Look what Jesus says. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus is saying to Peter, your focus isn't quite where it ought to be just yet. Listen, when you get focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and what you're supposed to be doing for him, you're not going to worry about what everybody else is doing. Fault finding will cease. You'll stop worrying about what everybody else. We need to worry about what we're doing. 
We need to keep our lives in order. Boy, it's, listen, it's hard enough for us to keep right, and it's hard enough for us to keep it between the ditches. It's hard enough for us to be sanctified and holy and all those things than to try to keep somebody else that way. Why don't we focus on what we are supposed to be doing for Christ? A little while ago, I had lunch with Toby Barrett talking about this whole situation with Kathleen Wynne and the sex education curriculum. and We were just talking, and, and I said, Mr. Barrett, is there anything we can do for you as a church? He says, yeah. He says, if you have anniversary services, invite me to come. He says, if you have something going on, invite me to come. He says, I, I miss going to church. He says, because every Sunday, somebody's booked me for something that I got to go to. And he says, the only way I get to go to church is if, if I get invited by a group that says, we're having a special day, would you come? He says, I'd love to come to your church, would you invite me? So we've invited him for this year's anniversary. And uh, I said, so where, where are you a member at church then? He says, well, I'm a member at the Anglican Church in Port Dover. I said, okay. And so we talked a little bit more about that, and, and you know, that's a great thing. He wanted to tell me about his church, and I got to tell him about ours, and I told him about Jesus Christ a little bit. And he said this. He says, well, the church isn't what it used to be over there. He says, I don't get to go but once or twice a year because of my schedule. But he says, it's not what it used to be. I said, oh, no, what changed? He says, well, he says, they painted that door purple. How many of you have seen that in Port Dover? If you're coming up from Nectals up that back road there, they painted the door purple. And I didn't bite my tongue quick enough. I said, isn't that a foolish thing to get upset about? He says, well, my dad hasn't gone back since they... I went, uh-oh. You know who Harry Barrett is. and Hasn't gone back to church since they painted the door purple. Friends, we got bigger fish to fry. We painted the ball blue. I hope nobody quit. You'll notice we put some new lights in the lobby this week. The other ones were all dying. Man, they look nice and bright. I hope nobody walks out because they don't like the light. Isn't that silly to get upset about something like that? Something so foolish. Listen, when we get focused on Christ, none of that will matter. And you get in the presence of the Lord when Jesus passes by, you'll be more concerned about where you are with Christ than you are anybody else. Am I doing what I ought to be doing? Am I serving the Lord like I should? Friends, when Jesus passes by, everything changes. Jesus can make all the difference, not just... That he's the son of God who died to pay the sins for this world, but he's the one that wants to have a relationship with you. He's the one that wants to be personal in your life. He's the one that inspired Paul to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Why? Because Paul knew what it was like to have the power of God. Let's bow our heads and close. Actually, I'm sorry, before we do, I want to share a song with you. Uh, Brother Judge is going to play a little video called Jesus Passed By. Watch, will you? So he fought. 
Jesus passed by, and oh, what a change in my life since Jesus passed by. And oh, what a change in my life since Jesus passed by. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As Jesus passed by your life, do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? He'll change your life forever. To have a relationship with him. Listen, that's why we emphasize so carefully here that going to church won't save you. It might make you a better person, but it won't make you a forgiven person. Having religion, man's attempt to get to God, won't won't help you. But having a relationship with Jesus Christ will change you. When Jesus passes by, he changes everything. So one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. I just don't know. Would you pray for me? My prayer won't save you. I just want to pray that God would help you and show you your need of a Savior and guide you and direct you into eternal life through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So one that I could pray for. Maybe we can help you after the service today. Is there one? 
Maybe there's others here today that maybe you've kind of grown lethargic. You've lost your focus. You see, revival, that we're having some revival meetings next week. We call them revival meetings, but revival is not a set of meetings. That's just a tool to help us to grow and to spark something in our hearts, hopefully getting us to revival. But revival is when that focus is renewed, when Jesus passes by and shakes up your life and changes your heart, gets you going in the right direction for the Lord again. Maybe there's some here today that need to pray, and I'd pray with you. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out, but could we pray with you today? God would revive my heart. The instruments are going to begin to play. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Would you pray? Would you pray for our meetings next week? Would you pray that God would use it to minister to us and speak to our hearts and revive us again? Would you pray?